Did you think there were good movies this year? You know, <laughs> there's a couple. I will say this, though. There were good movies last year for me, though. And last year last year was a suck year. I mean, as, as I'm sure it was for a lot of people. Like, I'll say this. I, I had it pretty easy, to be fair. Not much changed for me. But, like, it was still kind of a suck year. But that being it, it, said. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was a bad year. Yeah. <laughs> to quote The Who, I have a feeling 21 is going to be a good year. <laughs> we can only hope. But uh, the start of it has been... Um... It's been. How about that? We'll just leave it at it's been. The Globes. <laughs> the Globes. However, though, as I said, there were good movies last year, but I'm not talking about the ones we're going to talk about tonight. I'm talking about a special list that I cultivated, Tyler, called Ben's Top Ten Movies That Tyler Showed Ben in 2020. Ooh. All of these are movies that have been brought up on the show in one way or another, and we are going to count them down real quick and just get your genuine reaction to where Got they it. fall on right. the list. At number 10, 1985's Malibu Express. Fucking, what a movie. <laughs> what a weird movie. There might be 42 naked women, I'm just saying. It's kind of the perfect, you just picked this up at a VHS store and turned it on and you're like, I don't know what I'm watching. Number 9, 1953's The Big Heat. Ah, The Big Heat. Big, so much heat, that big heat. No more deal for you. <laughs> any movie that's got the word big in it the, like the big whatever i'm in oh let's be honest like if there's an honorary one on here for the big heat it's also the big combo the big combo the big big you know you, you put more movies should have the big before before the it really should the title. at number eight 2001's trouble every day i mean they really did have trouble every day god right that movie I, that movie i'm re-watching it that movie really upset me <laughs> It's an upsetting movie. At number seven, it's The Comeback Kid. It's the one you can't stop talking about. Backtrack or Catch Fire from 1990. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Backtrack. Every we... once in a while, I'll just be like, Joe Pesci was in Backtrack. No one knows this. How do I expose more people? It's just like a movie that, like, if you told someone about it, you would end up in a psych ward because they're like, he's making up movies. What you're saying is we need to have a scene where George has been committed to the psych ward. That's still a bit. And just as Jerry, they put me in the psych ward because I told people what Backtrack was about. Backtracking. Oh, <laughs> we have to go number, back to Backtrack. <laughs> at number six, 1945 Scarlet Street. Oh, yeah. That's just a, that's just a good-ass movie. You know? Yeah, that's just Edward G. Robinson crushing it. Yeah, Just the Fritz Lang, Edward G. Robinson. That's right, it is Lang, isn't it? At Lynn's number good. five, 1968's Head. Yeah, we did do that, right? For 420. Yeah, I totally did, like, boy, that that day was wild. Make sure, by me. the way, make sure you got some time to record that one before 420 or have 420 off. Okay. Because I do. Okay. Are you recording, like, a commentary track? Like, what are we... No, no, we no, we're going to no, do another 420 movie. I just got to figure... It's either going to be Dazed and Confused or I had another one written down. Inherent vice. Inherent vice. Inherent vice. Ooh, I don't hate doing inherent vice, actually. I love inherent vice. All right, let's do inherent vice. I'm at number four, 10 to Midnight from 1983. Ooh. <laughs> We're into, like, the top shelf stuff now, by the way. <laughs> what a fucking... What a... What a we, oh, man, we need to go back to the canon. canon. I think we do. I think we do. 
At number three, 1997's Perfect Blue. Oh, that's a movie that lives around free in my head. That was the start of the pandemic. I remember I'm like, ah, it's not so bad. We'll ride this out. That's a movie that makes you long for for the pandemic to end. Because it's just like, I don't want to live with these thoughts anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. I want to go to work and distract. Number two, 1950, The Asphalt Jungle. Ah, what a picture. It is. And number one, it has been there since the moment it came out, and I saw it, 1970s, The Honeymoon Killers. Yeah. It's a near-perfect movie, I think. I'm so glad you like The Honeymoon Killers, because it was not going to be picked. There was, like, another movie that I was going to pick with it, like, another French movie from around the time that Lahane came out. And I was just like, I kind of just wanted to watch The Honeymoon Killers, and so I just kind of, like, last minute was like, what if we did that? And I'm so glad it worked out. It's very, it's very solid. Than, it's better than solid. Oh, you're right. It is. Like Thank I, God uh, they fired Martin Scorsese's little ass off of it. Honestly, I would like to see what Scorsese's version of that movie would be, but it, I don't think it's as good. Unfortunately, though, we're not talking about those that top 10. We're talking about the top 10 of 2020. And, oh boy, what a year. What a What an interesting year. Yeah. That's that is the understatement of maybe the century. But you know what? What a year. But you know what? Part one, here we come. We're gonna do ten to six, and then next week five to one, and then there'll be some awards after that. So you know, something to look forward to. Yeah, I guess we're gonna have some laughs, some awards, gonna talk about some interesting movies, some Maybe less interesting movies, movies that are more slow and, you know, just like kind of drift by frame by frame. You are in so much fucking trouble (laughs) when it comes to one of these movies this week. I think I know which one it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll bet you fucking do. Yeah. When the final reel is spun And the credits have been run You can count on the wisdom Of these two white guys talking film Just two white guys talking film. Welcome everybody to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the busy streets of New York to a villa in Italy. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I am, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. And this week we are doing our top 10 of 2020, part one, 10 to 6. (sighs) 10 to 6. What a shit year. I'm so glad. But we got a new president now. The vaccine is coming out. Slowly but surely that vaccine's coming out, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, guess uh guess we should start with um we should start with you know what? The you know what we did this last year, and I was listening to this episode last night. We gotta start with that guy. That that guy who's who's just on the outside looking in, the honorable mention. And honorable you know mention. what? We have one for each we each one this time. And do you wanna start off with your honorable mention? 
my honorable mention is a little movie that played the festival circuit 2019 and then was kind of silently released uh, into movie like a couple couple weeks ago called Ham on Rye. Uh, so Trish, I gotta talk to you about something. What's up? Uh, I've just been thinking about Monty's. Monty's? Monty's. Mr. Monty. Say Monty's. Don't you think the whole thing is like a little bit weird? Weird like what? I don't know. I, I think I'm starting to get it. What everyone was talking about, everything just feels Nice. Hey, where do you guys think we'll go? Katie, hey, uh, it's Haley. Just wondering where you are. Oysters make pearls. Pearls go on necklaces. Ritzy boys and girls wear necklaces. Daniel. Daniel, it's me, Dad. We're all here having dinner. Haley's here. She's gonna be sticking around. Look, man, you can let it suck or do not let it suck. Do something. Do I get a second chance? And it is, I think, probably maybe ben, maybe maybe Ben's least favorite movie that I have. Maybe the second least favorite movie. It's definitely a Tyler ass movie if there ever was one. It is short surreal there's not a whole lot of plot and the plot that is there is obfuscated and confusing and i absolutely loved it 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 kind of felt like someone was sort of making a movie about an experience that i had and kind of like feelings that i had that i'd never seen transposed into the filmic medium before which is when you graduate high school and all of a sudden everyone you know has just vanished and you just don't have that friend group anymore and they've just kind of moved on i don't really want to say much more about the movie other than it has a very sur american surreal feel to it and also a very Nickelodeon feel to it. It's kind of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. It's a very interesting movie, and I'm excited to see what the filmmakers make after this because, God, that movie got its hooks in me immediately and just never let them go. It's an interesting examination on Arrested Development. I will give it that. I don't know if it works all the time, but when... It is working. It's certainly working the way it's supposed to. I agree with you on the Nickelodeon aspect of it. You're speaking of the channel Nickelodeon, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can see exactly where you mean by that, where it kind of just lets the kids kind of go free for them with it, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, the filmmakers said that they were inspired because the director and cinematographer both grew up on Nickelodeon. And mm -hmm. so 
they used a lot of Nickelodeon kids in the movie, and so I think they were intentionally trying to incorporate like a Nickelodeon glaze to the yeah, film. That's fair. that's fair. And so things are kind of like light and airy, but like there's this tension of like darkness underneath it, and then it kind of formulates at the movie's climax, which is a confusing <laughs> mess of images, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it is cool. And, yeah, you don't want to say any more than that? I want people to, like, kind of discover the film, because it wasn't, I mean, it didn't have, like, a huge release. Not a lot of people no. talked about it. No, it didn't. Um, it just sort of came out on movie and is just there. I believe um, I so, told someone about this. They go, that's not a real movie. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, no, it is. Actually, funny you say that. The guy who usually tells me that is, is the one who told me to see this. What was your experience watching it? Was it just like... I didn't see the big kind of like twist coming. Because like at one point, Mark came out and sat down and watched it for like 10 minutes. And he goes, well, these kids ever going to get to where they're going? I'm like, dude, I don't know where they're going, man. This might be the whole movie. And, like, they eventually get to the place, and then the twist happens, and I'm like, oh, okay, I fucking see what you're going for here. Like, it works, it just, I don't think it, I think it's a movie that, like, you're gonna have to ask a lot of your audience. Like, if, like, if this had come out, like, at David Lynch's peak, like, when people were watching movies like that, people would have fucked with this movie. But this, unfortunately, comes out at a time where people are way too ADD to be watching a movie like this. I think it's a movie that plays poorly at home. I think it mm -hmm. would have really killed in a movie theater, and it probably would have been much higher on my list had I been able to see it in a movie theater, because then you can kind of, like, focus on everything in the frame, and whereas, like, at home, you have distractions, like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, or, like, my dog's being weird. And so, yeah, yeah. I could see that. I think the movie is definitely worth people's time, and probably would still be an honorable mention even in a more packed year because i just i really enjoyed what it was trying to say and what it what it managed to get get what it managed to convey to me essentially yeah that's fair because it is at once a joyous you know, that, celebration of yeah. youth and a yeah. heartbreaking rendition of like loss and it's it's just a wonderful little film it is. It's tragic in that sense, too. But the other problem is, and you know what? I think what you said actually might be the thesis of the entire two episodes that we're about to do, which is it's going to be interesting to know what this would have been like in a movie theater. Yeah. Because I do agree with you. On a big screen, this might have fucking played well. I have a movie coming up on this list that played significantly better than I would assume it played at home because I saw it in a movie theater. Well, actually, it's funny you say that. My honorable mention played in a movie theater, and I didn't see it in 2020, but it did come out in 2020, and that's how we count these things. I saw Promising Young Woman. Daisy. That's me. Dean Walker. Please sit. My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess... I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? 
Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. On the 18th of January this year. And this is my honorable mention. And you know what? It's weird. We've had two movies now that have had like women who do horrible things for our honorable mentions. Last year you had Greta, and now I've got Promising Young Woman. Oh my god, I did have Greta. I stand by Greta being my Oh no, no. Mention. You and I both are on the Greta bandwagon. We're like, let's get Greta to the Gretting. <laughs> Glad someone else agrees with me about Greta. Do we call it Greta to Regretta? Regretta, yeah. Yeah. Promising Young Woman is very interesting. It's a wonderful performance. I'm going to say it right now. If it had been in my top 10 of the year, there would be no excuse for you not to put it as one of the lead actresses. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying you still couldn't, I guess. I guess honorable mentions might honorable be. Honorable mentions count. Yeah. I might have to go back and look at Ham on Rye. I would more so look at the other honorable mention for maybe an award. Oh, yeah. I think I know where you're going with that. I almost just said the name of what my other honorable mention was, which would have been fun for you to bleep out. Oh, I haven't seen that movie yet. It's it's bleak. <laughs> Fair. Can't be bleaker than some other things, but who knows? But Promising Young Woman, I mean, if you guys have not heard about this movie, this was kind of like the big upstart movie at Christmas that was like, Carrie Mulligan's going to play like a woman who gets revenge on men. And it's good. Like, it's it's really enjoyable. Like, for a popcorn movie, it's really fucking enjoyable. It's, it's really good. And also, I think thesis on revenge and what happens to women who attempt to get revenge is both truthful and something that hasn't really been explored in that style of movie. I think it's important and I think people should definitely go see it. I hope Carrie Mulligan gets nominated for an award because goddamn is it a great performance it's it's really good and it's one of the reasons the movie works as well as it does like without that performance being that good you might not have what that movie can accomplish yeah and i wish the movie had a little bit more momentum kind of going because i do think more people should see it i think it's a very smart movie and i think a very interesting movie and I'll want to get another movie that I'm like, I wonder how this would have played in a movie theater. <laughs> it's good. It played well. Like, we rented it out, actually. We rented the theater out. So, uh, genuinely speaking, it's not like I was getting reactions from strangers. But uh -huh. everyone in it reacted, I think, the way you would want them to react to certain scenes. Say what you will, if we're going to count honorable mentions, shit. What's her name? Allison Bree has, like, a real talk for, like, a supporting Oscar nomination. Or um, not Oscar, a supporting talkie. I would, I mean, yeah, supporting talkie. It's good. Like, it's, it's, it's very, I, there's not much more to say about it. Like, if you know the premise of that movie, you know where it's going for the most part. It's, it's really enjoyable, but it was just, I think the reason it's my number 11 looking in or my number 12, maybe, depending on how you look at the honorable mentions, like, 
I think the reason it's on there is because like, it was just so nice to go see it in a theater. Even if it was just people I knew, I was like, this is, this is great. Like, it's just nice to see a movie on a big screen. It was also just nice to like look forward to a movie coming out. Yeah, that was nice too. Also, uh, too, Carrie Mulligan does give like one of I would say the two. I granted I have yet to see one of the movies. I've yet to see Nomadland, but she gives one of the most solid performances of the year. It's memorable. I think it's probably her best performance since Shame. Oh, uh, yeah. I realized I hadn't seen one of her more recent movies where she's really good in. Which um, one? That Paul Dana movie. Wildlife? I do hear good things about wildlife. Yeah. So. Oh, Lewin Davis, too. She's really strong, even though she's in it for like five minutes. It's important to watch for Carrie Mulligan. One of my favorite actors from Veronica Mars has a turn in the movie. I almost said, I almost spoiled the fucking movie. So I'm glad I didn't do that. Amanda Seyfried's in that movie? Amanda Seyfried. It's a Veronica Mars joke. Amanda Seyfried's in Veronica Mars? Oh, Amanda's... right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's no, the, let's talk that's... about Viz, who I, who I love. Viz. Viz. Not Viz. Piz. Who's Piz, who's Piz in it? Piz is... Okay, edit this out. Piz is... The fuck out of here. Is he really? That's Piz. Yeah. Holy shit. I had no idea. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Not good for him doing that role, but like, you know, good for him for like, you know, kind of getting like a second try at the apple. Well, he is also in a, in a little show that just got canceled called uh, Glow, Glorious Ladies of Wrestling. He is that guy, isn't he? He's the money man. Fucking A. God, he is good. Good for that dude getting a resurgence. He is good, yeah. I would say definitely go see Ham on Rye. Definitely. If you have movie, if you don't have movie, if you have some a friend who has movie. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. You can rent it. You can rent it. Movie has an extension on Amazon Prime. So if you, if I say movie something, then you can probably get it through Prime. And if you want to spend twenty bucks, it's on Amazon Prime as well. Promising young woman. It's worth it. I yeah. rented it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I rented it from somewhere. I probably didn't spend twenty bucks. It's twenty bucks to rent. Oh my god. Well, I guess that takes us on to our number tens. Number tens. Do you want to go first, or should I go first, or should we flip a coin? Flip a coin. Flip a coin. All right. I have with me a U.S. Grant or a James Garfield dollar. You can't. No one can see it, but it's real. Um, heads or tails? Heads. All right. Heads it is. Do you want to go first or second? I'll go first this time. And yeah. yeah. That means we're talking about a movie I just finished. Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I may have moved things on my list just to let you know. Oh, no. No, no. (laughs) That's why it'll be a surprise. And the first movie on my list was a movie that I saw the 19th of January 2021, but it came out deep in the summer of 2020. And it is a film that documents, yes, a documentary made it on my list, the annual tradition of boys from Texas brought together to build a government from the ground up. A fast-paced documentary about politics in the hands of youths is nothing short of incredible. A brilliant look at what politics could be and shouldn't be? This is, of course, the 2020 movie, Boys State. My name is Steven Garza, and I'm running to be our party's nominee for governor. A little bit about myself. Um, I come from a very modest family. Um, 
And my passion has been politics. Um, the way I wanted to run my campaign was very different from most. I wanted to know what was on your minds and ask you what issues matter to you. I didn't want to run a campaign. I did not want to run a campaign to represent y'all if I didn't know who I was going to represent. I didn't know y'all want y'all to sign a bad check with my petition. So I'm really proud of the 30 signatures that I got. I want nothing more than to be your candidate. And in the event that I am not, this right here is my defining moment at Boy State. And what I say next could cost me that chance of winning, uh, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The American Legion hosts Texas Boy State. The Legion is made up of veterans of armed services. When they took an oath, they took an oath to not defend one state, but the United States. Some gave all, all gave some. Not just for Texas, but for all Americans. To secede is to dishonor the memories and make their sacrifices in vain. We have the opportunity to do something great. Are we gonna make headlines for the wrong reasons? Are we gonna dishonor the legionnaires who consider us to be the best that Texas has to offer? Or will we show the world what patriots are made of? That when things get tough, we pull ourselves by our bootstraps like true Texans and get after it. Leave Texas greater than it was when we found it. We aren't secessionists, damn it. We are nationalists, one nation under God, lovers of the Constitution of the United States of America. Let's do something great for Texas and amazing for the country. God bless every single one of you. I never wanted to dropkick a child before, but. I mean. <laughs> This movie makes a pretty strong case for me to do that. <laughs> how great is it, though? They build up such a natural baby face. They do. They do. And a, and a natural heel. Like, immediately. Holy like, shit, that kid is, is that like kid that. not the Billy Mitchell of Boy State? You're just like, fucking hate that kid. I mean, you shouldn't, because, like, he's also, like, like... He's like had to overcome like a lot of adversity, and he's yeah, still he's the worst. Talk about it though. <laughs> it's Ronald McDougal, right? Ronald McDougal. That's the other boy who runs against Garza. I think so. He is the Roy Awesome of Boy State. <laughs> it's just like this golden retriever of a boy, where you're just he like, is, oh, he's so dumb. You're, you're not very smart, but you're you're giving it your college try. He's just charismatic. He's very charismatic. He reminds me of so many politicians where it's just like, I just like look at the camera, I smile, and people vote for me. And I kind of don't know why. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, we have to say, though, breakout star is Renee. Breakout star is Renee. Oh, he's so good. I was just going to wear all my shirts to upset them, and I thought to myself, that's not what this is about. When they do the vote to like impeach, like whether or not they go up with like an impeachment trial, and they only get 12 people, and he's like, he basically tells them to start an intramural basketball team. I was like, wow, that is a 
wow. I, if I was one of those kids that wanted to impeach him, I'd be like, well, I'm dead. I'm dead now. I have to die because he yeah. just killed me. Because you already answered when you first saw it. So my first question is, what is it about and who is in it? We've already talked about some of the people who are in it, but maybe get a rundown of some of the other characters. It's kind of a movie about this thing that takes place in Texas, which I found out something. It's not just in Texas. It's all over the United States. My dad was in Boy State. That's that's hilarious. It's very funny, right? Well, you see a thing pop up where it's like going through like people, and one of them is Dick Cheney, and it says Wisconsin Word. State. Wisconsin Boy State. I'm trying to remember. Dick Cheney. And I'm like, oof. Rough look for this movie. Rough look for boys state everywhere. And the thing is, it's a movie about they bring these boys together over the course of like a couple weeks. It's almost like a summer camp kind of thing. But they are asked to build a government from the ground up. I believe the reason they choose the Texas one is because it's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Texas massive state. And it's also kind of, like, a, a bigger range of ideologies, I guess. Not really. It's a very right-wing, very Republican yeah. camp. <laughs> In the letterbox reviews, someone describes, like, the boy state as, like, a conservative learning camp. Which is, like, kind of true. Renee sort of makes a joke about that during one of the sit-down interviews. And so it is kind of interesting to see, like, a couple of the more liberal kids have their, like ideas like rub up against this very conservative infrastructure and it follows two can I mean, you know the weird thing is the other guy the federalist ben isn't even running for the gubernatorial position and they that's what makes him such an effective villain yeah he's just doing this to win and it's like to win what like yeah you don't win anything <laughs> eddie who is the, the worst person in this movie, probably. I think Eddie? I hate him more. <laughs> Which one's Eddie? He's the Federalist candidate. See, they don't go in on him enough. Just because he's, like, so far on the outside, you don't really get to know much about him, is what makes him so villainous to me. I think one of the other Federalists is like, he's like the Ben Shapiro of this camp. And I'm like, that is not a compliment. <laughs> that is actually a vicious critique. <laughs> It's a hard look. They essentially say that because, like, he has all these facts, and then he, when he lists facts, they're all wrong. Like, they're just, like, not the right facts. And I'm just like, okay, this guy has a bunch of bullshit <laughs> that he knows. See, I think it's Ben. And it's just the way he'll sit in that chair when they're doing the sit-down interview. Oh, yeah, he, he, like, lounges on it like a fucking... Like, like a... Ugh, like, he's Ric like Flair or something. yeah. Maybe it's more comfortable for him that way. Yeah, that's true. He does have, like, meningitis. Severe meningitis, where he he had, like, two, both of his legs amputated, and he has, like, arm things. So he really only has, like, one functioning arm and hand. And so you're, like, naturally, like, that guy's a baby face, right? Because of, like, how much adversity mm -hmm. he's had to overcome to get here. And then immediately he's, like, quoting Ronald Reagan and, like, we should treat people by what they do. Like, how they have the measure of their quality. And he's, like, talking about how, like, he's not white. And I'm, like, immediately, like, oh, I hate this kid. <laughs> I fucking hate this kid. What was your favorite scene? You know, it's probably where Garza goes up and just fucking destroys in that speech. Yeah. When you kind of think, like, oh, no, he might fail on his face a little bit. Movie's kind of setting up, like, a little bit. is like, oh, no, this kid might, like, fall apart. And then he 
he swings for the fences and he hits a home run. I mean, it's really that moment where Brian challenged the Miz for the United States title and everyone's like, oh, the Miz is going to wipe the floor with him. And then he just fucking tapped the Miz. Like, that's kind of what they do here. And you're just like, oh, shit, he's a contender. I didn't know this until just now. It's going to be interesting to see if that kid goes on to do something. It's going to be interesting to see, like, Renee and I think some of the other kids, because, like, I think they could very clearly become political players or at the very least, like, in Washington doing stuff. I think what's interesting about that scene particularly is that the movie sets up him barely being able to, like, run for governor of the whole thing, which is, like, essentially what happens is they break down into a small government where you have two opposite parties. And you vote for, like, a head of the party who kind of, like, rallies everything and you ratify, like, a constitution and, like, the ideas of your party. And then you elect a guy within your party to run for governor. And then everyone votes for who's governor. And essentially you build this, like, mock government over the course of, like, five days. Mm -hmm. And so you have the nationalists and the federalists, which I don't like that they're using both very right-wing terminology for the parties. I don't like that. It's not great. Anyway, the nationalists, you have Garza and Renee, and there's some like internal conflict because Renee is very charismatic. He gets voted as like the leader of the group. And it's very clear that within the nationalists, there's this like very racist group of people who are trying to impeach him because he is a young black man. That's or true. Young, He's African American, correct? He is. I don't think they. I don't think they ever mention it, but yeah. Well, and he's so, definitely not white, dude. Like that's that's the thing that they point out. Like definitely not a white man or a white boy, and so there's like some racist memes that go on later on. They kind of set up Garza, who has you have to get like a certain amount of people to sign your petition so that you can run for governor. He barely gets the amount of people that he needs, whereas the guy he he ends up running against within his own like little party, like immediately gets the amount of people he needs. Like it's easy for him because he's like this like puppy dog white boy who's just telling everybody what they want to hear. You expect when you have like these like eight or nine people like running for governor, you kind of expect Garza to like fall on his face a little bit because the movie's kind of been setting up like this hard struggle for him to to run for governor. And then he just kills it with the speech, like out of nowhere. Yeah, he really It's does. a great moment. Yeah, it's it's strong because like you're just like, holy shit, like this kid's like gonna make it actually. Yeah, it's like a like a like a capturing lightning in a bottle sort of moment. Yeah, it really, really is. Why should this be on your list? And what would you pair it with? I will Start with the second question first and answer the first question second. I'd pair it with The King of Kong and Fistful of Quarters. It's kind of a natural pairing of like two documentaries where you have just two such hateable and likable people and you just kind of follow them to their natural conclusion. I feel that. I feel that. And let's be honest, they're all bo- they're they're both about children playing at games. <laughs> <laughs> In your face, Billy Mitchell. <laughs> Bag of attacking boys. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but why should people? Why should this be on my list? This is a really fun documentary. In the same way that a king, the King of Kong, a fistful of quarters, is a very fun documentary. This documentary kind of just like, look, nothing's gonna really change here. This is like a thing that these people do. This is something we should look at because it's fascinating to see what happens when you put the concept of power into children's hands and. 
it's an interesting way to look at too how like it's not much more different if you put it into adults' hands. Like we're all kind of the same in that way. And it's just a really well-made documentary and it's fun. And you get invested in the characters. I watched this at like six in the morning the first time I watched it, and I was like riveted. I had to take a break from watching it because I had to go to a lecture and then I had to watch another movie and then I had to finish it. So oh then, well, then I read fifty pages of a book and then finished that book and then I finished the movie. Well, look so. at you. It's really good. So, you know, however you want to watch it. If you want to watch it in bits and pieces like I did, fits and starts, then feel free. It works that way as well. Well, I guess we move on to your number 10. My number 10, we go to another documentary. This one, just as hard to watch as Boy State is hard to watch uh, in certain moments, was originally shot in the 90s by an actor who had become friends with the subject shot it on tapes over the course of years, and then eventually just sort of abandoned the project because it became too unwieldy. It was supposed to be a short, and then it became a feature, and then just kind of, he sort of gave up. Many years later, he returned to a storage unit and gave the tapes to Rodney Asher, who I talked about last week, and Asher edited the documentary and kind of added some more footage and added some more context to it, and what we are left with about a very troubled man in a time and moment when his rock band was not doing so great and he wasn't doing so great either. This is the unflinching The El Ducci Tapes. You should have told me not to watch this Monday morning. This was this was a rough one to start the week. I mean, it immediately starts with him saying some really graphic and disturbing shit. So. Well, Tyler, when you decide that your genre of music is called rape rock, and yeah. I'm not editing that out so people can hear that, that's what this guy says. Real quick, you're just getting ready to start the El Ducci tapes before we talk about it. Fucking giant trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's a fair point. Yeah, if you're going to watch the El Ducci tapes, yeah. But here's the thing. This dude is a very natural heel, and I think he knows that. He's trying to be hated. He's trying to be a villain. I mean, he, he starts the movie by tiling Hitler, like, com comedically, and, like, getting his dick out. It's grotesque to the point of being, like, comical. Well, because Which is, like, you almost point you al almost you almost can kind of be on his you, not on his uh, you can almost like him to a certain extent, like because he's charismatic and like the thing is I think we all know it's kind of an act like it's a performance I think the whole thing is a performance yeah and I think through the tapes you kind of see this window into this very upsetting portrait of a man who. 
started to live a gimmick and then that gimmick became a lifestyle and doesn't know how to get out of it. I think the more upsetting aspect about the film is the fact that the people around him, when they interview like his bassist or his rhythm guitarist, have enabled him because they're sort of his meal ticket. And it's this interesting look at an insular community that has a central figurehead who is this disgusting heel of a human being. He is deplorable. But you can't stop watching him. Like I said, very charismatic and very intriguing. And he does things for attention, like going on to like conservative like talk shows, pissing those people off. And then going on to, like, Jerry Springer, which is, like, not... I mean, it is kind of reactionary, but it wasn't, like, conservative. And, like, going the opposite way and saying, like, fascist shit to piss those people off. And so... He's an instigator. Like, that's what he does. Who likes to piss people off. Like, that's just what he is. And the more the movie goes on, the more you begin to feel sorry for this guy who's pissed so many people off that he's just, like... He doesn't really know who he is anymore. He's kind of abandoned everybody around him. What's just his have name this, again? Like, sad shell of a human being. So his name is El Ducci. His real name is Eldon Hoke. The band is The Mentors. They were like a shock rock group from the starting in the 80s from Seattle. They were one of the people who were brought up in the infamous Senate hearing about obscene music, specifically the song Golden Shower, which is... Very funny. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. if you listen to the lyrics, the lyrics are dumb. And, like, oh, purposely yeah. dumb. Like, bend up and smell my anal vapor, your face is my toilet paper, is stupid. Like, it's, but it's, a, it's, but it's clever, too, at the same and time. It's, it's kind of clever. And you're, like, there, part of me is like, okay, I kind of see what they're going for with this music and then they just like say stuff where i'm just like that's like way too much (laughs) like no it's the most conflicted i've ever felt like at the end of like a documentary you know what i mean because yeah you're you i can't get on board with him like a hundred percent obviously but there are moments where you're just like oh motherfucker is act like motherfucker was doing what prince was doing just on the most low budget level like where it's like everything prince does was a performance like everything everything gaga does is part of the act like i fully believe that like kanye is doing that yeah and i think he's doing it to a certain extent but like with no money no budget and to the point to where like i kind of don't like looking at it you know it's like yeah. real things that he's playing with and maybe the fire is too much for him to handle. Yeah. And so bit. you kind of walk away from this one being like, I think I kind of hate the people around him more than I hate him. Yeah. You're not really sure that woman who lays on the couch. You're like, Oh, you fucking suck. Yeah. Yeah. Like his, his bandmate, Steve Brody, like the guy with the glasses. I'm like, that guy sucks. Like I hate that guy. Like that guy yeah. I think is more. And they get married. <laughs> I think that guy's more misogynistic than El Duce is. And, like, that's insane that I think... It's kind of wild, right? So we've kind of talked about what it's about and who's in it. Because El Duce's the movie, let's be honest. It's it's him. It's about El Duce. Uh, When and where did you first see this? And you know what? I'm also going to ask this. How did you come across this? So I came across this when Arrow... Arrow video had kind of already launched and has been a thing for a while. 
but I just found out about it on accident, like kind of stumbling across it on the, on the internet. And so I signed up for a free trial and was looking around what they had. And it stood out to me as this movie that like came out in 2020. And I was a part of this thing called The New Cult. And I was like, I need to watch movies from 2020 because currently my list is nothing. My list is a YouTube video and a movie I saw at the Portland Film Festival in April. So I needed to add some things to my list. And so I was like, okay, well, I started watching it on my laptop. My girlfriend was like, what is that? And I was like, I explained it to her and she's like, well, let's watch it. And I was like, are you sure? It's very upsetting. And so we turned it on the TV. We turned on the TV. We made some pasta. We ate. And it kind of just was very, it was, a weird, it was an interesting movie where we had to like stop and like kind of parse out what was happening. We kind of had like these like discussions and like kind of like philosophical debates about like what the mentors and stuff like that. And it was a very education, educational experience just to like watch this with someone and just be like able to like kind of parse out the whole thing and the myth of El Duce, especially the like Kurt Cobain stuff, which is both something that like me and Naomi very much have talked about and how we kind of agree that Courtney had nothing to do with it. Oh, you don't think Courtney had anything to do with it, huh? Don't think she had anything to do with it. Why would she want Kurt dead? A. B. There have been many times during her like career at live shows when like people have held up signs or like chanted for like Kurt Cobain's name where she's literally had to walk off stage crying. So mm. I don't think this person who really loved Kurt and like sobbed while reading his suicide note to like a live audience in Seattle, it was taped, of course, but I don't think that person would want Kurt Cobain dead. And mm, I think Duce realized that he could get a quick paycheck by saying he killed Kurt Cobain and mm. that Kurt Courtney did it. And so it kind of adds to the mystique, the way that El Duce died and him being in that documentary and then dying like a couple days later. It adds to the mystique around it, but it's all coincidence. I don't think he had anything to do with it. I mean, the movie, the El Duce tapes basically is like he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't even in the area <laughs> when it happened. That's so, fair. Yeah. Also, Kurt Kearney wouldn't have known him. Like, just to be honest, like, why go to a guy in a band who's an alcoholic? Like, doesn't make sense to me. That's the genius of it. <laughs> That's the genius of it. What um, is your favorite scene in this movie? Favorite scene is... A rough ask. A rough ask. I like when they get they have to, they get forced to stop at the, at the, like, it's like 20 minutes in the movie, they're forced to stop because two fans, like, start punching one another over a disagreement about what the movie was like what was happening on stage and there was there's that right. scene there's also the scene where he is like blackout drunk and he he asks the actor to come over and like interview him like one last time and it's oh, like it's just yeah. a really dark 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 moment he's a weird figure man and i think the movie works because he's both weird and charismatic yeah, if I think he, so too. If it was just weird, the movie wouldn't work. But I think yeah. because like there is a there there, you know. Uh, you know what? I'm even more fascinated by this next question. What would you pair this with? That's a good question. I don't know if this is a very good pairing, but it's another dark aspect to rock and roll music. I'd pair it with Gimme Shelter. Okay. 
Which is also a, kind of about a very charismatic person who maybe does something very stupid and doesn't realize it at the time. You're talking um, about the Rolling Stones documentary? Yeah. It's mostly about the Rolling Stones and then Ultimate happens and then they're like, <laughs> ching. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I have some conflicted feelings about Gimme Shelter. I think it would make an interesting pairing at the very least. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. And why did it and why should it be on your list? I really like Rodney Asher as a, as a filmmaker, I think. And to take a bunch of tapes that were just kind of like left over that some guy filmed and to make this cohesive narrative that feels fully realized as if he had like essentially directed that footage from the 90s and then brought it to the 2000s and put it together is incredible. I also just think it feels sort of in this era when like Trump and stuff like that feels kind of interesting to see like those figures when they like spin out of control or when they come from like a poor family and don't really, you know, it, it, it was like watching a movie about a cult figure that never found his cult. <laughs> well, that's an interesting point. And yeah, I think it is very troubling and very dark, but I think a kind of an important film for the demigods that we see nowadays. Yeah, it's true. Well, okay then. I guess that takes us on to my number nine. Number nine. And my number nine I saw on the 20th of December, 2020, and is the newest film from the auteur Steven Soderbergh, who crafts a nasty little thriller that will have you scratching your head with utter joy until the very end. An incredible cast leads you on a journey that will have you stumbling and yet always chasing after a central mystery of the film. It's a tight little potboiler. It is, of course, the 2020 film, Let Them All Talk. It's essentially about me. I mean, honestly, that's what authors do, don't they? Let me just see. I don't I'm, think and, and another thing. I've ever been at a table with two more self-obsessed people. I don't think I ever have. This is a first. This is a first. We care for each other. Do we? Do we care for each other? Yes. 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 We do care for each other. This happened in your youth. This happened so long in your youth. And today, this very day, we have lived most of our lives. <clears throat> right? Are you going to continue this ancient battle? For the little time that remains to us? Do you even know what happened yesterday? When we were out of communication with the world? Do you know what happened? You don't know what happened. Do you know what happened? Does no. anyone know well, what I happened? I was working, so I wasn't. Well, of course you were working. You're always working. Yes. Elon Musk sent many, many telecom satellites into the sky that look exactly like stars, exactly like stars. So now when humans gaze at the night sky, they won't know if they're gazing at a star or at a machine. Hmm. And we at this table, at this little table, we are among the last, the very last ever, ever 
to have seen the actual, real, the honest, truthful night sky from the ocean. We saw stars, just stars. Was this movie an excuse to expense a boat trip? Stephen, pick up the phone. (laughs) Is that the question you want answered? Off the top of my head, yes. Also, which psycho version does he prefer more? He likes his version. I think he likes his version, yeah. Let's go over the plot of this movie. I really I really did enjoy this movie, but we should go over the plot. Oh, I'm glad uh, you liked this. I thought this was going to be one that you were going to have a hard road to hoe. No, no, I really like this. Had I seen it before you, it probably would have ended up on my list. Let Them All Talk is very good. What is the movie about? It is about a writer played by Meryl Streep who cannot fly over to England to get this prize because of a condition she has. So she decides to take a cruise over, like a crossing is what they call it. And like she does this because her book company is like, look, like you're fucking huge. We need you. You're you're the second biggest writer in the world. We need you to go over there to get this thing. And she's like, well, I can't fly. And they're like, we'll send you on a boat. And she says, can I bring friends? So she brings her two friends, which are played by Candace Bergen and Diane Weiss, who, by the way, you want to talk about just crushing it every second they're on screen. Those two are amazing. Yeah. And she also brings us her assistant, her nephew, who's played by Lucas Hedges, which, by the way, first real Lucas Hedges performance I've enjoyed. Really? Yeah, I've never really understood what the what the rave about him was until this movie. I see. I think he's the only performance in Manchester by the Sea that I can stand. He's okay in that movie, but that movie's just so annoying to me. I can't get over like anything good in it is immediately blanked out. It's him and Kenneth Lonningham yelling at Casey Affleck to fucking to to fuck off and calling him a motherfucker. I mean, I guess yeah. Matthew, my two favorite performances in Manchester by the Sea. Oh, first of all, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Yeah, remember he's in the end. A terrible like. Oh yeah, it's a joke. He's he's terrible in that. Well, my favorite, yeah, my actual the... favorite ones is the fireplace. Anyway, hello, let's go. Keep moving. <laughs> Might be the darkest thing you've said in a while. I'm just gonna let it hang. And the other person on the boat besides those four is her agent, who's played by Gemma Chan, who Meryl Streep's character Alice is not aware is on the boat. She rules. Gemma Chan? Gemma Chan. She does up to a certain extent. I I think she's really good in this. No, no, no. She's good throughout the movie. It's just like at one point you're just like, oh, you fucking suck. I don't think she sucks in that scene. I think I know what scene you're talking about. Well, we'll see. When's your favorite scene in this movie? I mean, I think my favorite scene in the movie has to be... Pretty much any time Diane Weist, Candace Bergen, and Meryl Streep are just kind of in the scene together. Yeah. Yeah, like, those three are just, like, really trading body blows the entire time. Because the whole premise of it is, is that, like, she has a new manuscript, and that's why Gemma Chan's on the boat. And they've said what, and, like, she said, like, cause, and she's kind of using, Gemma Chan's kind of using what's-his-name to kind of get information about it. Lucas Hedges' character, whose name is Tyler. And Tyler says to her, it's about capturing lightning in a bottle a second time. And that's everyone believes, oh, it's a sequel to her, like to one of her most famous books. That's what everyone's hoping for. And it is <laughs> not to spoil anything. The movie's not really hiding you from that. It's more or less hiding no. the like the reasons why there's tension between 
Cam's Burger and Meryl Streep, and well, maybe like a little bit of Diane Weiss. Well, exactly, um, because that's the whole problem. Because if if it isn't that actual book, the whole second half of that movie doesn't work. Because Candace Bergen's character is under the impression that that first book that was written that was a huge success was pretty much a rip of her life. Pretty much. And it caused the ending of her marriage. Yeah. So she's there to kind of like get Meryl Streep to kind of admit to this. Yeah. And Meryl is... I was going to say obscure and not obscure. She's like attempting to make it harder, essentially. Yeah. You know, actually, I will say this favorite scene is the last scene between Candace Bergen and Meryl Streep. That might be the best. Like, I was, yeah, that's my if favorite. You're, scene, if you're going to push, if you're going to push Candace Bergen for a supporting actress nomination, which I fully believe Candace Bergen should be up for a supporting actress nomination for this. Yeah, I think so too. Like, she plays that character in the same way that like, and this is the only way I can compare it to it. The same way Joe Pesci does in Goodfellas, where it's like, every time you show up, you go like, fuck, this is just going to kill. Like Candace Bergen knows what she's doing with that character. She's got a lot of eye acting going on. It's great. She does. She does. Oh, but he was acquitted. <laughs> very funny. It's a yeah, very it funny is. line reading. Let's go back to the Gemma and Tyler situation. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to call her Naomi for the for the purposes of this. Hey. <laughs> what? They're both fine young women. Stop it. <laughs> the whole time Tyler likes her, and I'm sorry, Gemma, no offense to you. You are not Ray Charles, so you do not have the excuse of being blind. Anyone could tell from the outside looking in that that boy is deeply fascinated by you. Yeah, I don't blame her for rejecting him. I don't. Yeah. It's just like, you maybe should have been a little more upfront. And also, she was dumping a lot of emotional baggage on him. I mean, that's true. And it happens. It's, you know, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Tyler's going to bounce back. He's a Labrador. He, second movie of yours where there's a character who is essentially just a puppy, like a puppy dog. It's so true. God. Very cute. When he has the moment where he goes, he goes, he goes to her room every day and she goes, do you think they're having an affair? And he goes, I don't know, maybe. And she goes, well, good for her. <laughs> the whole movie almost takes place on a boat. It's crazy. Yeah, it's nice. It's also kind of got like this like screwball-ish quality to it. I will see the, the moment when Meryl Streep pops up at one point. There's a moment where she just like pops up into the scene. It is the best jump scare of the year. <laughs> You're talking about where she comes around the corner and then Tyler and Gemma are just there. They're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. it's great because like, it's like she's like smiles at Tyler and then looks over and goes, Gemma and like and Tyler just goes oh <laughs> you are right it might be one of, well it's not true it's the second best jump scare of the it's year a, it, but it's very good it's a very good jump scare it's an unintentional jump scare because you're just like oh fuck which you got to give credit where credit's due Alice handles it so well in the next scene she goes so she asked you to lie for her and you did this because you like her and, like, Tyler kind of just shakes his head like, yes, like a dog who's just, like, thrown up on the carpet but is really sorry. And she goes, it's as good a reason as any that I can think of. That's so sweet. It is. Meryl Streep, who is vicious at moments in this movie, just, like, oh, absolutely yeah. cutting, is very sweet in moments, too. It's a really, really good performance from her. Sorry that I wanted to get to know them better. Sorry that I wanted mm -hmm. to recapture that. Mm-hmm. When she takes off her big sunglasses and then puts on her big glasses, I don't know why that might be one of the funniest <laughs> moments of the year, too. 
it's a very slight and cute little movie, and I'm glad Soderbergh is able to make things like this and just be like, I just want to be on a boat with Meryl Streep for two weeks. That man can make a movie about anything, can he? Really can. I kind of love his new style that he's sort of fallen into with like Unsane, this movie, and uh, like The Laundromat and uh, High Flying Bird. This is kind of his more like avant-garde creative period, isn't it? This is almost like a reawakening, it feels like. Kind of, yeah. I think he's I think he's excited by the possibilities of using like cell phones essentially. Like he did Logan Lucky, which is like the only one where I think he used like professional equipment. And since then, with like Unsane, High Flying Bird, the laundromat, this movie, it's all been like shot on cell phones. And I think it allows him to make some really creative and really interesting choices. Logan Lucky Say what you will if it's not even done with that stuff. Logan Lucky is still, like, it's number four on my list for him right now. Like, that movie is so rewatchable. I want a Hilary Swank making Blair movie. I've said this before. Oh, like the, like the sequel? You want the sequel to that I movie? Want, yes. Speaking of sad news in the Soderbergh world, we're never going to get a Haywire sequel. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right, what other questions you got for me? What would you pair this with, and why is it? On, why should it be on your list? I would pair this with... God, what is this kind of like? Man. I have a pairing. Yeah, let me hear it. Out. There's a South Korean director named Hong Sang-soo, and specifically the movie On the Beach at Night Alone is what I, I would pair this with. Very just kind of slight, and movies where you're just like, man, they're going to get to the point, and then they do, and you're like, oh. And it's like emotionally devastating. And you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> Good. He is also a guy who has made something like 40 movies because he puts out like three a year. Jesus um, Christ. It's incredible how, how quickly my man can work. He's got a new movie coming out this year. He won the Golden Lion last year for a movie that hasn't been released yet. So You can't you stop know, him. You can't top him. Can't stop him. Can't top him. The pandemic, <laughs> he might have made three movies while he was quarantined. We don't know. Oh, wait a minute. I do have something to pair with this. Okay, go for it. I would pair September with this. September. September is a movie by Redacted. And mm. yeah, I, look, it works though really well. If you saw it, it's got like three really incredible. And also, you know what? It also has a Diane Weist performance in it. Oh, wild that the last minute has been all silence from Ben. Weird. Anyway. How dare you? Anyway, weird. And this should be on the list because, honestly, it's what someone once said about the Coen brothers, and I'm starting to believe it more and more about this man. Every time Steven Soderbergh puts out a movie, regardless of what that movie is, it is an event in its own way because that man, even though some movies are about the same subject matter, never makes the same movie twice. I mean, even his failures are very interesting. Yeah, the man has never failed to at least make me want to think about something in one of his movies. Like, yeah, as, as far as I know, I have a whole stack of them sitting over there, but we'll see. This summer is the like, summer of Soderbergh, by the way. This man has made like 30 movies, so. It's pretty insane, right? Maybe maybe we'll watch Full Frontal and be like, wow, that was a real misfire. <laughs> I believe I've watched Full Frontal and I don't remember a thing about it, but I was I very young. Almost bought a VHS of Full Frontal. Of course you did. Why don't we move on to your number nine? My number nine's plot on his Wikipedia page is just the story of an American artist living in Rome with his young European wife and their three-year-old daughter. It's from Abel Ferreira, starring Willem Dafoe, Tommaso.
Basta! Basta! Stai spaventando mia figlia! Basta! Stai zitto! You speak English? I don't speak English, but I can manage it very well more than that. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Fucking bloody. Get your shit out of here. Come on, go. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, you're gonna do it? Get out of here. Get out of here. Just get out. Beat it. Beat it. Come on. Be on your way. Take your food with you. Go. Oh, my baby, she can't sleep. You're scaring the shit out of her. There, Zit. Your baby girl sleeping? Upstairs, upstairs. So I make you bothering with you? You're bothering me. It's true? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Keep it. Okay, Stacy. So we maybe compromises. Okay, you can sit down, but no more. Okay? Yeah. I don't bothering you. Good. But you're a nice person. Give me some coins. Everything is going to go up for you. Where are you going from? States. Which part of states? New York. New York. How about you? I got my friends living here, New York, just near New York. They came from New York. Where are you from? Pakistan. Pakistan. You know, I've heard of it. American and Pakistan <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> they are all bullshit. But they are more familiar compromises. I don't want to cry about it. I my mother. It's fucking all sunny. Okay, okay, okay. Fuck you, Dad. That's, that's but, theft's poison, you know that. Enjoy yourself. Okay. Have a good night. Yes, to you. See you the next time. Okay, good luck. Okay. Okay. But now I have to go, surely. Don't return back. Just go. You're good. It's not fair. It's not fair. What's not fair? It's not fair. <laughs> Willem Dafoe should win Best Actor this year. Like, and I know there's should. someone coming up in the second in the second show that you have a real, real, like, like torch to bear for. And I and I like that performance too. But Willem Dafoe like gives, I would argue, maybe my favorite performance in this movie. It's hard to categorize how good Willem Dafoe is in this movie. Because every small detail and choice in this film is done with, like, such care (laughs) that it's, like, it feels 
immeasurable. I at the start of Tommaso, like when it first started like getting into it, I like didn't I wasn't like jiving with it. I thought the rhythms were kind of off. And then there was like a couple of like small scenes that really brought me into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, That's exactly how I felt. I was like, I don't think I like this. Yeah. And then when day like day two of the movie kind of starts, I'm like, oh, now I get what this movie is. Yeah. You start to get like a rhythm for like what it's kind of doing and what it's going for. And I think when I heard about this movie, I was like, Abel Ferreira, he's like, a, you know, he's like one of the like guys I think has been totally he's totally up for a reevaluation and reappraisal of his his films yeah. and i think anytime we get a new ferrera i'm like oh that's like a small little treasure like i we should all be talking about this and so like as soon as tomaso came out i was like immediately on my radar there's another movie that he released last year that i still haven't seen because i haven't had the time for it called siberia so there could have been a chance where there was two abel ferrera movies on my list but I he's blew an it. interesting filmmaker like i've only seen a very small amount of his stuff but like say what you will king of new york is an interesting fucking idea like king of new york. bad lieutenant is a wild film i mean you get into like his exploitation stuff too with like thriller killer which is like very strange and unique and more importantly, one of my favorite horror films of all time, I mean, it would fit with Promising Young Woman with its subject matter, called Miss 45, which is hmm. an absolute wonderful, brutal movie. I don't know um, that one. It's, it's, it's good. Uh, trigger warning. Uh, <laughs> Miss 45. Fair enough. He's kind of moved into a more art house flavor. He's always talked about being like a guy who like loved like Godard and Truffaut and stuff like that growing up. And so it's kind of nice to see him kind of move into European art film director. And this movie, I think, is sort of an autofiction. It's about an American director who is now living in Rome, which Abel Ferreira lives in Rome. And the person who plays his wife is Abel Ferreira's actual wife and daughter. Really? So it's very weird. (laughs) Oh, that's so fascinating. Well, especially that opening sequence. Yeah. And so once you kind of know that and you kind of get a feel for like what's happening, it's a very interesting movie. It kind of feels like Abel Ferreira is like writing about himself because there's like a lot of talk about addiction. Yeah. Abel Ferreira quite famously had a really bad drug addiction in the nineties. And that's kind of like why he lost some years of his life. And I just think that the movie, like, the character's clearly kind of stylized after Abel. Apparently, Willem Dafoe was doing, like, some things like Abel would. So it's a very interesting movie from just that aspect alone. What I said about it was this. I said it's an unvarnished look at the concept of new parenting in autumn years. Because that's kind of what the premise of this movie is. He is contending with the idea of the person he was is no longer the person he is now because he has now had a child. Yeah. And I think the most interesting aspect of the movie is once when his life starts breaking down, when like the stress starts to get to him and you start to see him go off in these like fantasy dream sequences. And it begins to mesh with reality and you stop being able to know which is which and where the lines are and like what is happening. And I really think this movie, maybe I need to rewatch it again. Like, maybe I need to watch it a second time. But I really enjoyed trying to parse, like, what this movie was, like, 
going for. And then once it like kind of landed it, I was all on board. I mean, there's a scene in the middle of the movie that's my favorite scene. I'm just gonna talk about it. Where Whoa, 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 whoa. We do things by the book here. What's your things favorite by the scene? Book. Okay. Um, now that you've asked me, I can finally talk about my favorite <laughs> scene. It's when there's a moment where his daughter can't sleep and there's a man mm. screaming in another language downstairs. And he starts by being very angry. And he's like, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to fuck that guy up. Like, I'm going to tell that guy to fuck off, essentially. Like, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. And he gets down there and he starts to have a conversation with that guy. And they both come to the realization that they're both expats. They're both living in this, like, unfamiliar country. They both kind of, like, don't know the way around. And Defoe's character kind of, like, hey, my daughter's upstairs. Like, she's young. She she needs to sleep. She can't sleep. You keep waking her up. And the guy, like, genuinely feels bad. And is like, oh, my God, I'm sorry for keeping yeah. your daughter up. Like, I didn't mean for that. They go from, like, a place where they start, by, like, almost fighting one another. to, And they end up through a language barrier relating to one another and kind of understanding one another. And it's a very simple scene that is very effective and was very moving and emotional for me and i just really enjoyed the movie from that point forward i was like i gotta this movie's got me i mean and that is kind of the perfect scene like that actually would be the reason i would pair it with what i would pair it with but my other question is when did you first see this first saw it i think when it came to canopy in like october was it my movie of the week it might have been my movie of the week I remember you talking about it then, yeah. I think I might have mentioned it one of those days. But yeah, it was. I don't keep like strict dates of when I see things, but pretty sure it was like in August or September. Okay. A canopy, huh? I don't know about this one. Sign up through a library card. I don't know if Reno has it because they didn't have it when I moved. But Your Arrow was mentioned on a podcast by Quentin Tarantino, so that's a thing now I'm aware of. I told you about it as like Arrow. No, I know, no I know you did. I'm just saying like now it's like been doubly confirmed. It's like, oh, maybe I need to look into Arrow. He said he's that's the only one he he subscribes to because it fucking rules or whatever. Did you listen to that podcast? No, it's like three hours long. So eventually, probably. And also it features Edgar Wright, who... <sighs> I know, I know. You got problems with him. What would you pair Tommaso with? And honestly, by the way, for me, favorite scene, anytime he is talking, just the way he, like, just the way he's around women. Mm. Which will tie nicely into the person we talk about in my next movie. I would pair it with another Abel movie, 444, Last Day on Earth, which is about like an apocalypse, and, and it's it's just about two people in a, in a mostly not like two people, but it's it's about essentially like a, a couple spending the last moments together on Earth, and Aww. that movie is very sad and good and fun. See, I, and... I think this movie ends on a very hopeful note, though. <laughs> yes, a very hopeful and bleak note. Yeah, but I think I think the moment with the kid at the end. I think I think that's I think no, that's yeah, the hope. That's very sweet. But yeah. the, the movie does end with him in his imagination shooting someone. <laughs> but who is that person supposed to represent? I don't know. And was it I real? Th- was it fake? Who knows? See, I like to believe that you are correct. It's in his imagination, but that is him shooting him old his old self. Maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Why does this deserve to be on your list? Oh, by the way, did we say what you would? You said you would pair it with. I said I would pair it with uh, four forty-four. Last day. I would pair this with Naked. Ooh, good point. Good point. Or, or a movie called Factotum. 
Yeah, the Bukowski movie, right? Have you seen that movie? I read the book a long time ago, and I hated it. Me and my dad went to it, like, just on a whim one afternoon in the summer. It's one of the best fucking experiences I've ever had. Maybe the movie's better. Maybe you don't get all of uh, Bukowski's misogyny thrown at you. I don't think you do as much. Why does this deserve to be on your list? I don't know. I think every anytime there's a new Ferrera narrative movie, I'm probably gonna end up probably gonna end up somewhere near my list. I really like Ferrera. I don't know if you can tell that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, I guess that moves us on to the 20th of January, 2021, which I saw the seventh film from the Littlest Coppola, Sofia Coppola. And it is a wonderful slice of a relationship drama as a daughter tries to manage her marriage and reconnect with her father at the same time. The repairing of Murray and Coppola is nothing short of stellar, with an equally stunning lead in Rashida Jones as well. This is, of course, the 2020 movie by Sofia Coppola, starring Bill Murray and Rashida Jones and Marlon Wayans. And you know what? I'll say it. Jenny Slade on the rocks. People. We're gonna make new friends, I'm afraid. Nothing to worry about. For license and registration, please. And I'm gonna need you to turn the engine off. I'm afraid I can't do that. Sir, turn the engine off. Here's the deal. I'm stuck down here in second. The starter's overheating. If I turn it off, we're going to lose it, and that'll be that. Sir, turn it off. OK, let's say goodbye to it, because it's not going to come back. That's fine. You hear that? Sir, is that alcohol? Hell, not, that's 98 Krug in the car, but it's not open. We, we've yet to pop it. OK, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to step out of the car. Your lady friend can stay seated. This is like three times this week. You're very funny. I'm charmed that you said that, though. I mean, it's kind of flattering. <laughs> but she's not exactly my lady friend. This is my daughter, Laura. Who's your guy over here? That's Chris. Chris, my daughter, Laura. How you doing? Huh, Laura. This is uh, Officer. Uh... Are you Tommy O'Callaghan's kid? Sir? Is Tommy your pop? Tom, yes, that's my dad. <laughs> Well, we go way back. I'm going to call him. No, 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 sir. Please put the phone away. Wait, it's late. It's late. Yeah, it's late. I don't think my mom would appreciate a phone call right now. That's right. She would bring him, not me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know your pop. That was a guy. I went to Sergeant McCallaghan, Timmy. I went to his beefsteak for his retirement. And I don't know how we got home, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's my grandfather. That's right. That is correct. Gosh, I don't know why I didn't make you right away. You are a ringer. Dead ringer. Thank like, you. The eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you still going upstate, going to the Adirondacks? What? We, well, when we can. Yeah. Um, and you got kids of your own? We're trying. And a boy. And a boy. Yeah. It's the trying that's so much fun, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, it's good to see you, man. Really good uh, to nice see you. It's nice to meet you, sir. Yeah. Good to meet you. And actually, we could just get you on your way. If you could just be a little more careful from now on, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was being careful. That's why I ran the light, because I didn't want to get stuck in the intersection. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, 
I need a little manpower. We need some beef. You only got to get going about 10 miles an hour. Okay. It, it'll pop pretty easily in We're second. just going to give him a push. All right, pop. Thanks. Let me get the keys on. You in? Yeah, I'm in. It must be very nice to be you. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. All right, on your mark. Get set. Go! Jenny Slate has a very fun performance. The seventh movie from Sofia Coppola. I, it's kind of strange. This movie just sort of came and went. <laughs> and it really deserves better. I think so. Yeah. I think the movie, uh, I, I mean, I kind of, I missed it. It's one, I think it's just one of those movies where like, because of the pandemic and so many other aspects, you just kind of go like, do I really have time to subscribe to a new service in order to watch the new Sofia Coppola movie? And not a lot of people said, like, yes. And so I wish someone had said yes, because I thought it was I thought it was lovely. It's charming as fuck. Like, even last night, Brianna was sitting there and we were laying on the couch watching it because I needed to do the rewatch. And it moved up. I'll be honest, guys. This was my honorable mention until I rewatched it. And then it just moved up. It moved up several spots. And there's a moment in it where she looked and she goes, God damn, look how good those kids look in those clothes. I said, yeah, that's what Sofia Coppola does. She just knows how to dress people in it and like do color schemes in her movies. And it felt interesting to see her do a movie in New York after. It's kind of, it kind of, to me, reminds me of Somewhere. This movie... Feels mm, like somewhere yeah. in many respects and kind of has like the same thing going on with like the father daughter relationship. Although now they've grown up and it's in New York and it kind of takes the shape of like a family comedy. Was not expecting to like Bill Murray in this because I don't love Bill Murray <laughs> in movies, but I think he's really charming in this film, dude. If she can take him to the dance one more time, I think he's got it. <laughs> Like, and I, and honestly, dude, this is better than translation, in my opinion. I think so, too. I don't like Lost in Translation very much, though, so. I know. This, I and love honestly, Sofia Coppola, and I think Lost in Translation's her worst movie, so. <laughs> Fucking sue me. You might not be wrong. I mean, I haven't seen, no, I've seen everything of hers, actually. Also, I but think I... Somewhere is her best movie, so that's, you know, where I stand. You wouldn't think a movie called Somewhere would go absolutely nowhere. Hi, I'm Tyler, and I gave this movie a 10 out of 10 in that review. It gets my lowest rating ever, 10 stars. <laughs> this movie is about a woman who's played by Rashida Jones, and she's married, and she has two kids, two adorable little children. And she's just kind of a mom who also is a writer, and her husband is like, he works for some sort of internet company that he runs. It's you never quite get a full understanding of what he does. And I think it's also kind of because Rashida Jones doesn't entirely know what he does. And I think that's an interesting little tidbit is like he just does stuff. I don't know. <laughs> He's bringing home money every week. We seem to still be able to afford things. Yeah. And he maybe isn't the most their husband. He goes on trips. I think he's a good person who's maybe kind of having like a spell where he's very attuned to working 
And that is kind of leaving like a hole in the relationship, like a little bit. And I think Rashida Jones is filling that with the fears of infidelity because of her father and because like she seeks out men with those types of traits, essentially. And I think in some ways, this is me projecting, the movie is sort of autobiographical in the same way that I think Lost in Translation is very autobiographical. And Bill Murray is in many ways kind of like a stand-in for Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, yeah. And his, his womanizing behavior. I think Bill Murray is even more of a stand-in for Francis Ford Coppola in this movie. And it's not one-to-one because Francis is still married to Sofia Coppola's mom, I believe. I don't think they ever got divorced. There was hardship there. If you read the verbal history or any history of Apocalypse Now, you will know what I am talking about. Francis Ford Coppola, maybe not the best husband in the world. <laughs> but was he the worst? Probably not, but he wasn't the Probably best. Not. But I think the movie is kind of exploring these uh, like historical traumas that families go through and how, because of that, we end up finding those same traumas in partners that we have later on in life. Like you said, it's the whole thing. The whole premise of this movie is the, the reason this movie kicks off the way it does is Rashida Jones is laying in bed. Marlon Wayans comes home from like a business trip, gets into bed and starts kissing her. And all of a sudden she says something and it kind of wakes him out of this weird stupor. And then he backs off and that gets the suspicion in her mind that maybe he thought she was somebody else and she finds a bag in his bag that's like a little red, a heart bag that has like body oil in it. And she's like, what's this? He goes, oh, that's my friends who I went on the business trip with. She couldn't fit it in her luggage. But she's got this paranoia in her head. And it's because, like you said, her dad was this womanizing cheater and still is. Like, say what you will. Bill Murray's character is what you call a coxman. And I call him an asshole. I mean, he, he can be at moments. I don't know. The scene where they're walking into the restaurant and that woman walks out and he goes, oh, my goodness, you are beautiful. And you're just like, that woman would sleep with Bill Murray 10 minutes later. Like, I, he is charming as all get out. But you also see that he is like this, like, lone, lonely. Oh, he's a, he's a wolf. He's, yeah. And wolves get sad when they, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they age to a certain point and they become sad to look at he kind of gets in her head like we need to look into this to see if like he's cheating on you because he should say what you will Bill Murray is very protective of her mm-hmm. I mean the movie starts with a line that's like um, you're mine until now I give you to him you're still mine exactly yeah like, like which is so sweet and what do you call it? She's like, no, we're in a rut. Like I'm, uh, he's busy. I'm taking care of the kids. That's what's going on. But it, he gets it into her head and they start investigating. And that's kind of where the movie kicks off. And it's, it's so fucking fun. I mean, if, if you guys don't think the clip is going to be the scene where he talks his way out of a ticket, you're out of your it's, mind. Yeah. It's very cute. It's, it's, if that's not the scene they don't show at the Oscars, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I mean, if this movie even gets to the Oscars, it fucking better. He's so good in this movie. Like this is, one of the best male performances of the year. And you're not on Bill Murray's side a lot of the movie, too, which is funny. Yeah, you're not. You're kind of against him, I think, for most of it. Well, because you really don't want to believe... Yeah, you want to believe what Rashida Jones believes. You want to believe it's not real. <laughs> like, last night, because I hadn't seen this for a while, 
Last night, Brianna looked up at me at one point because she had her head on my lap, and she goes, I swear to God if he's a cheater. And I'm like, honestly, I don't remember. The movie's sweet, and I'm glad it was on your list because it forced me to watch it. Yeah, it's uh, a fun movie. I, mean, I, I liked it a lot. I liked yeah, it a lot. for two in that department. Yeah. Actually, I think you would have. You're you glad you watched Boys State? I'm, I liked Boys State. Yeah. Um, although I do want to drop kick one of the kids. Just yeah, like, we just all straight up. Just and it's not the one up. you should want to drop kick either. No, no. And I'm um, coming for Eddie next. <laughs> yeah. To answer your question, I was at home when I saw this because that's where all of them have been. We really could just cross out that question, huh? <laughs> when you said like, where did you see this? I was like, fucking my living room or yeah, my bedroom. all of them. One of the two. Uh, yeah, favorite scene. He talks his way out of that ticket with the cop. That's so yeah. fucking funny. Yeah. And it ends on yeah. the greatest line where she, and it's so great. She puts his hat on him and she goes, it must be nice to be you. And he said, and he just giggles. He goes, I wouldn't have it any other way. He knows everybody too. It's so funny. It's very sweet. Yeah. The moment yeah. with the cop where he's like, Tom, go holla <laughs> It's like, he goes, Tom, I went to... my dad. Yeah. He goes, you're a dead ringer. It's the eyes. You got kids? We're trying. Hey, the trying's the most fun part. And then he brings up Tim O'Hallahan. I was like, Tim's with my grandfather. I, I just, I kind of, I just, yeah. It's very sweet. It's a very sweet little emotional little moment. It's great, too, because you watch Rashida Jones watch him do it. And she's just like, he's done it a hundred times. <laughs> like, oh, fuck again, I guess. Okay. It's great. Yeah. It's great. What would I pair this with, though? Yeah, you know, maybe somewhere actually is kind of the perfect pairing. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they're both about daughters and fathers. You're right. Yeah. They're only different. The difference is one's, one's in New York. Much more about, like, New York parents. And the other's uh, about L.A. parents. L.A. parents. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, guys, yeah. It, sh it should be on the list because it's charming as fuck. If this were a better year, I bet you Sofia Coppola would at least be getting up for, if not a directing award, at least a screenplay award. Murray should be up for an Oscar. Rashida Jones should be up for an Oscar, honestly. She's really good in this movie. Her scene where she kind of just tears Murray apart, the line he delivers after she tears him apart is only as good as how like much she lays into him. Yeah, I agree. What happened to you? Oh, my God, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so good. Well, from one heartbreaking movie to another heartbreaking movie, what's your number eight? It's a little movie by one of my faves, Kelly Reichert, who we did a whole series on. We talked about this movie very briefly, and we kind of decided to save it off the Mount Rushmore so that we could kind of talk about it right now. And it is a movie about a guy who helps people on the trail he like forages for berries and, and and you know things like that and is also a trained baker back east and it's about the the trail and and the trail life and oregon at the time when settlers and stuff like that anyway it's very good it's a shame that it came out right 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 before the pandemic because i was about to go see this i had to I had the money saved to go buy a ticket to go see this in the movie theater. And then the pandemic stopped me. But I finally have seen it now. And that is, of course, from Kelly Reichert, First Cow. Thought you were gone. I thought you were gone. 
You've heard? It's not good here, Cookie. It's not safe. We have to go. Get away from here. We'll tell our stories later. It's quite a scratch on your head. We'll clean it when we rest. How about that? There's a port at the mouth of the river. We'll go downstream and catch the first clipper south. How about that? Why is a baker like a beggar? Why? They both need bread. You make it. You just need to stay on your feet. It's about the first cow. It is about the first cow. It is about the first cow. I mean, you've kind of told us what it's about. It's about two men, Cookie and what's the other guy's name? Cookie and the other guy in the morning. It's not the other Cookie and the other guy in the morning. That I would listen to that radio show. Orion Lee as King Lou. Yes. Yeah, King Lou and Cookie. Yeah, and King Lou is a Chinese man who is in America. So he's kind of like trying to find, I think he's looking for gold. He might be like, not like a prospector, but he's like trying to find like a way to like kind of strike it rich a little bit. And he says there's um, all that soft gold out there. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is they end up striking like a small friendship after Cookie kind of gets left behind by some. He doesn't get left Friend. behind. He they make it to the fort, and then his party kind of breaks up, and he has to find either a way back east or has to kind of find something to do at the fort. And it takes a while, but he starts like. There's a guy who has a cow, who owns a cow. It's the only cow near the fort. And what ends up happening is Cookie decides to sneak at night to the cow, get the milk, and he starts baking some things. King Lou's shack. And he becomes very popular for baking things. So popular that a man by the name of Chef Factor, great name, played by Toby Jones, begins to ask him for a clefoutis which is a French delicacy. And he 
he makes it using the milk. Toby Jones is like, this is fantastic. And asks, like, how are you making this stuff without milk? Essentially, what ends up happening is there's, like, tension. Anyway, that's the, the long game setup. I kind of over-explained the movie, but my favorite scene is, uh, like, the first time Toby Jones eats, like, one of his things, and the acting in his face is amazing. Anyway. You're not wrong, <laughs> and we watched this, actually, a few... This is the most recent one I rewatched because... I had seen this and I was like, you know, I got to really wait to put that one off. And I sat down with it and I watched it via text with Stephanie and Brianna watched it as well. And I'll tell you, two of the funnier things happened during that watch. Brianna came in about five to seven minutes late. And at one point, the movie just ends and she goes, that's how it ends. I go, yeah, the opening. She goes, I missed the opening. I'm like, oh, you have a legitimate complaint here. Hold on. And we backed it up to the beginning because... I mean, say what you will. You know how this movie ends from the start. Like, mm-hmm. it's that song by The Verb. You already know how this will end. Like, <laughs> it starts with Alicia Shawkat in the present time with her dog finding some bones. I like to believe that's just maybe from Arrested Development. <laughs> finding some bones. And maybe realize she could make some money off of this. My God, Stephen Malkmus is in this? That's hilarious. Who's Stephen Malkmus? the guitarist and singer for a pavement and he plays fiddler and recognize that's that's cool so what is your favorite scene in the movie favorite scene is when he makes the uh, the the clophus and you have like the moment in the his house toby's house uh chief factor's house chief chef chef or chef chef factor chief factor it might be chief Chief factor Factor. chief factor and you have like lily gladstone's there and oh you got so excited for that I did. I lost it. I was like, oh. And you have this tension because he, I think that's the moment when he realizes that the cow he has been stealing from is Toby Jones's cow. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a movie that like is very slow and paced wonderfully, but also has moments of levity in it. Uh, moments where it's like kind of funny. And yeah, it's Kelly Record, baby. I'm, I'm well, going to like it. And Stephanie pointed out something today that I had never picked up on, and I think it applies to a lot of her work as well. She said she really knows where to draw your eye as a viewer, and it's mm-hmm. one of her strongest qualities. And I'd never picked up on that today, but it's absolutely true. She has this ability for you to be like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be looking at in this sequence. Yeah, I know exactly where the what, what the, the, the pool of the camera is and what's drawing me into yeah, it's a very it's a very strong. Let me ask you this as kind of a sub question to this one. Do you think this should replace anything on the Mount Rushmore? I know we put Meeks. Did we put Meeks cut off up there? No, we put Certain Women, River of Grass, Night Moves, and there aren't that many left. Was it Wendy and Lucy? Wendy and Lucy. Yeah. Uh, maybe Wendy and Lucy? But I, I love Lucy so much that I... Yeah, I was I, like... I like to believe no. the dog in the first scene is Lucy 2.0. <laughs> Not right now, no. But yeah, maybe. No. Maybe in another year, on a rewatch, maybe have it ranked higher than one of those movies, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's real good, though. Can't be redoing Mount Rushmore, so that's expensive. I'm not going to turn the dog Lucy's face into a cat. Well, that's not too hard. 
what would you pair this with and why should it be on the list? Meek's cut off and it should be on the list because it's Kelly Record and Kelly Record's the best American filmmaker ever. <laughs> Not the best American filmmaker ever, but one of the best American filmmakers currently going. So somewhere somewhere in New York, Martin Scorsese just went, I have to stop Kelly Reichardt, and I don't know why. I think he would really I think he probably really enjoys Kelly Reichardt. Oh, I guarantee you he loves Kelly Reichardt. That dude loves all film, but like he loves the good film too. He loves the good film. I also love this movie shot in 4.3. You don't see that anymore. Interesting. I've seen a couple movies that, that have shot in 4.3 recently. It's this and mid-90s. Yeah, yeah, that Jonah Hill movie. I still can't believe your favorite scene isn't where Brilliant William beats up that heckler in the saloon. That is a good, that is a good scene. They're all good scenes. It's true. It's, it's almost kind of incidental what you're watching because the story i'll say this i think it falls apart a little bit when they start getting chased uh, but i like the chase because it's kind of this like you kind of have to i mean i don't know i like the chase because it's just like i want these two men to get out of this and i know they're not and so you can yeah, kind of feel the, i guess that is kind true of, it's there's a movie called dragnet i don't know if you've ever seen it or not dragnet there's an anthony mann movie it's from the 40s i believe it's called dragnet it could be called something else but it's about a like a wrong man or like a guy who's he's like a criminal. I think he does something, and you just the movie is about all of his avenues slowly being closed off, and him not being able to like get out of it. So it's kind of like you're slowly watching like the noose like come around him, and you just desperately want him to get away, and he can't. And it's a good movie. It is a very good movie, and it's got it's got a lot of I don't know. It just works, man. It really, really does, and it is beautiful. It's almost as beautiful as my number seven. Uh, real quick, that Anthony Mann movie I was talking about is called Raw Deal from nineteen forty eight. Oh, you mean the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? No. <laughs> well, my bad, I guess. Your number seven, correct? And my number seven on my list is a dark comedy about a man trapped in a single day that takes place during a wedding. He accidentally drags the sister of the bride into the repeating day, and the two form a bond. Sandberg and Milady have incredible chemistry from the beginning to the absolute end. It's one of the most enjoyable movies I watched in quarantine because I definitely watched it at home. It is, of course, the movie that stars Andy Sandberg, Kristen Milady, and J.K. Simmons. It is Palm Springs. Bonsoir, mi familia! Et amici. Who is that? Niles, what are you doing? Going in for the save, babe. I'd like to share my thoughts on love. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. This is good. Misty's boyfriend. Why is he dressed for a luau? Oh, my God, Niles. We are born lost. Then we're found. But we're all just lost, am I right? However, in the darkness comes light. Tala Ann Wilder and Abraham Eugene Trenchleifen, who do not look like siblings. <laughs> you see their optimism, their selflessness. It's in their blood. And Tala, there's something that a lot of people here don't know about you, but they should. I hope you don't mind. It's not just time and money that Tala has given to so many charitable causes. She has also donated of herself bone marrow. 
That's right. How did he know that? She gave hers to her baby brother, Nico, saving his life. But now it's time for us to give to you. Here you are. Standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. And it may be frightening and filled with doubt, but always remember, you are not alone. Everyone here is your family. We are your world. And we will cheer you on with delight in our eyes as you achieve your wildest dreams. So raise a glass. We may be born lost, but now you are found. Cheers. Wait, what? Let's dance. You didn't like this movie, did you? I found it charming. Oh, really? Yeah. I oh, liked good. It. I'm glad. I was dreading it because it just doesn't look like my type of movie. But, I, but yeah. Can I tell you why, why I think why I was not worried about you liking this movie? This is a Lonely Island movie. You love The Lonely Island. I love The Lonely Island. You know I love The Lonely Island. I mean, pop star never stopping. That's a fine movie. It is fun. I just read something I found was really funny. Uh, Neon yeah. and Hulu paid for the movie, uh, paid $17,500,000 for it and 69 cents. And they beat the highest sale from a film from Sundance by 69 cents. They did that on purpose. They thought they were like, yeah, it has to be that much. Yeah, of course. It, of course they did. Of course they did. <laughs> the Lonely Island guys have a sense of humor. What do you want? Neon has a sense of humor. Oh my god, there's the script for this is also archived. I'm just gonna like read scripts from this year, I think. Look, this movie's been out long enough. If you haven't seen this movie, screw you. I'm this hey, there's a big there's a have big you seen Groundhog's Day? It's that. It really is. It really is. Remember when you called this when I was like, Oh, the twist, and you're like, Is it Groundhog's Day? I'm like, I'm bleeping that out. <laughs> I think what's funny about that moment is me being like, Is it this? and then just silence. <laughs> It's very true. Well, I've told them who's in it, and it, it's the movie Groundhog's Day, but it takes place at a wedding as opposed to Groundhog's Day. Yeah. But this one, you kind of understand the mechanics of why the Groundhog's Day is happening. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about it is you get Andy Samberg. He, he's, like, at day 378 of Groundhog's Day and is, like, just totally... <laughs> just like totally over it and it's like essentially just like i guess this is this uh, forever now <laughs> which is an I, interesting idea yeah i mean like what if you just kind of said fuck it like and just were like okay i guess this is it at least i'm someplace warm and comfortable i am the antichrist no i'm just kidding <laughs> the earthquake happens every day i think it's an interesting idea i think it's executed pretty well once you get uh, once you introduce Kristen uh, Milioti's character, she's really good too. And she's a gr she's great. I think she should be up for a talkie. Mm, uh, interesting. Yeah. In my in my opinion, I think she should be up for a talkie. But I think it's a cute little movie. It is a cute little movie, and it's got some it's got some really interesting some really interesting stuff to. It. I mean. I'll I'll say this. Anytime they do like a montage of stuff, I it, that movie is that movie is winning. Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't worry, I used to be a bomb guy. I think it kind of digs into the Groundhog Day jokes a couple times, where it's like, oh, look at these like funny ways to die, which That's I believe true. happens in Groundhog Day. This definitely feels like a movie that benefits from coming out in quarantine and everybody being like, I need something to fill the time and watching spring uh, Palm Springs and being like, fucking thank you for this. It was a great (laughs) distraction, dude. That's one of my favorite parts about it. Yeah. We were at like, we were at the height of summer. So like our tension was pretty high between us, but we put this on and it was like, ah, this is a nice distraction for an hour and 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Also love a movie that gives Connor O'Malley something to do. There's Connor O'Malley. Connor O'Malley is a comedian. He is part of... Who's he in this? He's one of the, the Grimsmen. He's, oh. uh, I think... He's, he's the, 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 in, the, 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 in the movie, you probably know him as the guy who, when Andy Samberg is like, where is this person? Like, is like yelling about it. Like, of like trying to find Kristen Milotti's character. He's like, I don't feel safe here anymore. Oh, that anymore. guy. I think we should call the cops. I know him from the Chris Gather show where he played a bunch of different characters. My favorite being Beast Masturbator, which is as interesting a character as it might sound from the outset. The other thing I know him from is a show called Joe Parra Talks With You. And most importantly, he's done a bunch of vlogs, like performance art, specifically like a Howard Schultz one when Howard Schultz was gearing up to try and run for president before everybody was like, that's a terrible idea. Please don't do this. He's great. And you should look up his YouTube videos. And if you can find them, he is fantastic. I love Connor O'Malley. When the earthquake happens, he has a great freak out too. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a very funny guy. What's your favorite scene? (laughs) I mean, honestly, like, okay, I'm going to give you a full scene that I like, and I'm going to give you, like, one of the little, like, kind of, like, cutaways they do. When he talks about all the people he's fucked, it's it's so funny. It's so funny when he's going down on the woman in the bar, and she goes, well, if you insist. And then, like, it cuts back to Milady, and she goes, I bet that was great. And he goes, you would bet correctly. Also, the what is it? The um, It also makes it funnier, too, every time you see the African-American groomsmen swim up to him in the pool when you find that out. <laughs> I, well, yeah. hell, how about that? And, you know, the scene in the tent between them where they're on mushrooms and they're talking about, like, the whole problem of being there is mm-hmm. really fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's, it, like I said, the movie, it works very well, in my opinion. And I think when it works, it really, it really hits it out of the park. And, yeah. I really don't have much to say about this movie other than I thought Christian Milotti was really good in it. And I think J.K. Simmons is really fun in it. And... I glad I spent an hour and 40 minutes watching it. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, what would you pair this movie with? Groundhog Day. I mean, I mean, for what? Yeah. Boom, bam. And why? Sh- and then I guess, obviously, why is it on your list? Because this was a distraction when we needed a distraction. And you know what? I honestly fully believe five years from now, they are going to look back at this time and they're going to say Palm Springs was one of the first front runners of movies that were put to streaming that started the whole thing and being like, you know what? Maybe movies don't have to be on a big screen at first. They can also be on a small screen because it works on a small screen. I definitely don't think this movie has to be in a movie theater, although I think it would be fun to see in a movie theater. I agree. I agree, though. I think comedy always plays better in a movie theater, but... True. Alas. Very true. 
And it should, yeah, that's why it should be on the list. Let's move on to your number seven. Ah, uh, so far, the last movie I've seen in a movie theater, the German slow cinema movie, in which made someone in the movie theater stand up as soon as the credits happen and say, terrible, horrible, as they walked out. Played at the 69th Berlin International Film Festival, directed by Angela Schnellick. Probably going to be controversial. I was home, but. My love for you would break my heart in two if you should fall into my arms and tremble like Funny, and we won't know this till years later, but I was the first person to be sent back through time, and weirdly, they sent me to that theater to stand up and say, terrible, awful. What the fuck, man? Seriously. Like, I, I haven't, I re-listened to, I re-listened to High Life last night when we talked about that. High Life is a fucking joy in comparison to this. What the fuck, dude? Like, uh, seriously. Like, this makes Yorgos Lantimos being like, wow, really minimalistic. <laughs> I knew as soon as I put this on my list, I was like, he is not going to like that one. That oh, is... I was so fucking mad at this movie. That, and like, that is a Tyler pick. Our, um, oh, it, it might be the most Tyler pick. Like, if we ever do a Mount Rushmore of Tyler picks, this might be the most. Like, seriously, Mark came out and he's like, he goes, what's this about? And I said, I don't fucking know. Like, and he goes, he goes, well, what's the IMDb description said? And I read him the IMDb description, which is a young child goes missing for a week and then Reese shows up and sends a bunch of people's lives into a ethical dilemma and like makes them question their own existence. I'm like, I guess that's happening. Like you could say that movie's happening. They don't really show the child going missing. It feels like. No, he's gone for a little bit and then he comes back in the movie and the movie just kind of ignores it. You know what? I'm I've gotten my rage out. Just explain why you like this movie. Go so, go ahead. I like it because this is another movie. I think it's kind of outside of the pandemic. The story of movies this year is generational trauma, is passing things down onto the children, and and then they pass it down to their children, and how these kind of things reverberate throughout history. And I think this movie is kind of doing that. And you have this like existential dread from this from the mother character. Once the child comes back, you kind of are left with these questions of like, where did he go? Like, why did he leave? You don't really know. The movie never really tells you, and yet it starts and ends at the same place <laughs> with like a shot of a donkey. Yeah, why um, is why why is that the opening? I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the child missing. Maybe it's a magical realism moment. I don't know. I don't know. 
Ugh. And I think it's good that I don't know. I like that I don't know. I no. like that it leaves me questioning. No, some movies, no. Some movies will do that, but they'll leave you with enough to at least think about it and draw your own conclusions. I don't feel this even does that. I I did, personally, when I what, the movie ended. What did you take away from this, then, so please? I took away... The mother, specifically, is having an existential crisis. Yeah. And you see these small scenes of, like, her with a lover and, like, yelling at the lover. And, like, we see these small reverberations of her life kind of being reflected onto her children who do love her very much and who she loves very much. But we do see these moments of like small connections. And we also see her completely divorced from people around her. She has like a couple conversations with people about books. I believe she's a writer or she's a, she's a, I think she's a professor or a teacher of like literature in Germany. And she has like an argument with this dude for like, kind of like nothing. And I think you see her attempt to, like, reclaim her life and try and, like, do things that, like, get her on, like, a steady footing that don't, don't work. Like, she buys a bike. She hates riding a bike. She sells the bike back to the person or attempts to. And you have this, like, very long scene of her trying to give the bike back. And I think the movie is, like, very, very oblique and obfuscated. And that's what I like about it. I like that it's, like a hard movie like it's it's a challenging watch it really oh. challenges you to, to to focus and pay attention and like draw your own conclusions and so i knew putting this on this list was going to make ben mad because it's not a movie that is that plays well at home at all how did you not fall asleep during it seriously uh, because i had a giant liter of soda and i was it was three o'clock in the afternoon and i was ready i know what i'm in for i like knew what i was this in for this makes read... transit look like a thriller Transit is a thriller, man. It's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's very slow. And uh, yeah, I like it. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. Enjoy it a lot. Oh, my God. It's it's so long. And it's, <laughs> it's not, not that just, long. I know. That's that's the real ask of it is that you look at this and go, well, I mean, this movie's an hour and 40 minutes. I'll be done with this in an instant. And then you look and you go, there's only been 15 minutes. I, I have to have been sitting here an hour. I've been here for seven days. <laughs> I have seen the sun rise and set multiple times. This movie will not end. The number one review on IMDb is, is just worthless. One star. Now, I don't think it's one star, to be fair disagree with that person i just don't think it's i just don't think it's your style like at all yeah but you've talked me into like liking stuff like and not talked me into you've shown me stuff that normally wouldn't be something i'd go for that i'd go for this just i think it's too slow i yeah no i think this is very much not your style (laughs) Um, well what is your favorite scene my favorite scene is the the bike scene she tries to give it back to the guy and the guy's like trying to curve her (laughs) you should probably tell him what the guy has the guy has i believe he's like got like a hole he's got like surgery in his throat from smoking and so he has like the the like telecommunicator where he has to put it to his vocal cords he goes like it's like that like that like that it's never debuted oh yeah and he says i would set myself on fire um if you know that reference you know that reference or ned from south park or ned from south park and so it's just, it's to me very funny. I was, I was cutting a rug. I thought it was hilarious. I was the only one laughing. <laughs> In a theater of three. No, it was a packed house. There was like 30 old timers there. It was, 
interesting. They fucking hated the movie. And it's one of the most adversarial crowds I've ever been in. Like, it's this and Mother. Like, the two most just, like, people just being like, man, fuck this movie. Which mother are we talking about? Mother. uh, The Aronofsky mother. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see where people would be mad about that movie. Fuck that movie, too, by the way, while we're at it. Yeah, I like it. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm real happy for you. You know, sometimes you want, like, some popcorn. This is when you want to eat a puzzle. <laughs> I don't want to eat a puzzle. Ever. And also, some of the pieces might be missing. <laughs> well, then, then, then I'm not getting a full meal, it sounds like. Oh, you'll get a full meal. What would you pair this with? Oh, fucking, that's an excellent question. How about dog tooth? <laughs> I would pair it with Yashihiro Ozu a number of his films but specifically I think the, the the name of the movie is referencing an Ozu film I'm trying to remember what it is I think it's one of the silent movies I Was Born But from 1932 it's also called that that's what it was called yeah wild yeah okay. it's purposeful she's you know yeah it's calling back to it and why should this be on the list outside of you wanting to eat a puzzle? I legitimately think the main performance is fascinating and incredible. I also think the movie personally is directed very well. And I think it absolutely nails what it's going for. Is what it's going for everyone's cup of tea? No. But it works for me. And most importantly, it is probably it's the last movie I've seen in the theater. So that's got to be something, right? Right? I mean, Promising Young Woman was on mine. I guess that's true. I mean, granted, I went to a couple more movies than you this year. I saw Tenant. Well, on from one horror show to another. And the next one is a little movie that is, quite simply, the description is this. It's a seance via Zoom. What could go wrong is my question. First-rate horror grabs a hold of you with nail-biting 56-minute runtime and pulse-raising terror. An excellent group of unknowns adds to the suspense as it causes the sense of reality to heighten. Once it gets going, it never stops. This is, of course, the 2020 film from Shudder, Host. What do you say? 
Karen, go back. And you couldn't hear it in the background, but Brianna just went, fuck that movie. <laughs> Scariest uh, moment on the second watching was Mark going, oh, God, like, and scared the hell out of me. There's a couple moments where, like, you see a ghost in the background of one of the, the Zoom things, and it's like, okay, cool. Wild. I see you. I see you. It's, it's all, once again, it's all like Gemma's roof. fault. All Gemma's fault. Is it weird that the girl in this and the girl in The Descent are both named Gemma and kind of look like each other? That cannot be a coincidence. I mean, maybe it's a coincidence. Who knows? There are a bunch of people who are on Zoom and they're going to do a seance with a medium, which, why? You know, it's fun. You're in quarantine. That's right. This Your movie is a quarantine. a little spooky ooky. Things just go wrong. It goes very wrong. It goes very wrong very quick. It's one person's fault. Yeah, I think one person's kind of like messing with the what's it called with the medium a little bit, and she's then you know, thumbing her nose at the spirits is what she's doing. And that ghost is like, "Go fuck yourself." Yeah. Oh, fuck free this. invitation to come in. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. <laughs> I think the reason they're doing it is because there was a friend who committed suicide. No, so no, they're... she makes that up. Oh, right. Remember, that's yeah. what it is. Because the premise of this movie is so there are like six girls on Skype or on Zoom and like one boy. The boy gets cut off. So the s six girls are together with the medium. And the one girl freaks out all of a sudden. And she says, like, what is it? And she goes, I feel this pressure on my neck. I knew this guy named Jack. And Jack something something hung himself. And then the medium gets cut off. And then they're all like, oh, my God, Gemma, are you OK? And she turns and looks at the camera and she's smiling. They go, did you make that up? She goes, yeah, I made that up. There was no guy named Jack. And when the medium comes back on, they say, oh, you may have opened a door like you've invited. Pretty much anyone can come in. It's open mic night in Zoom in Zoom world. And you're all <laughs> fucking watching like hey, is this thing on is this thing on. What's the deal with ripping out guts? It's just it's just all someone's in here. Someone's in here. <laughs> it's so great when you can possess them and you can talk and they can talk and you're talking for both of them this movie is 56 minutes long yeah it's a it's a it's a, basically a short film right yeah but it works as a theatrical i would have gone seen this in theaters you know i probably would have too dude this would have worked on a big screen this would have scared the shit out of people it would have it really would have I'll, I'll say it right now number one stunner for 2020's best of the horror decade there's one specific shot where I'm like, wow, that's fucking... What's the shot? It's when you see, like, a face, you know, like, the Snapchat filter, like, pop up on, like, something. That's... In the room. Yeah. And that's horrifying. That's real good. That's real good. The other one is when she goes up into the attic and you see the legs. Yeah. That's also real good. Also, the There's girl being some... thrown at her camera. Pretty much, pretty much the last 20 minutes of this movie are just nerve-wracking. That's so good. Also, poor Teddy being lit on fire. Yeah, poor Teddy. Poor Teddy. Poor anybody gets lit on fire, honestly. 
Not a, not a way I want to go out. When his girlfriend gets lifted up in the air, Mark was like, well, she's dead. And I'm like, if not dead, and then just the neck cracked, I'm like, never mind, she's dead. <laughs> you were like, Hold, wait, wait, maybe. Maybe she can get out of this. <laughs> never mind. Oh, no hope spot for her. Clean pin, one, two, three. <laughs> Lol, Cena wins. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Lol, Demon wins. Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene in this? I like I said, I think it's the, the Snapchat scare. Oh, well, that's right. The Snapchat scare. <laughs> I think it's really good. I think, honestly, I think for me, it's just when she, when they're all kind of fighting on the phone and then the one girl's chair just gets dragged back with her in it, you're like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Movie's not going to stop now. Yeah, I think that, I think once it like really ratchets it up all the way, I think it's real, real good. Do you think if they had all disconnected from Zoom, it would have ended? No. <laughs> See, I think it does. I think that's the thing that was linking it still. Maybe. I don't know anything about the supernatural, and Zoom is a motherfucker. So that's all I have to say about Zoom. I hate it. <laughs> have you really had to use it? I've had to use it for school. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. And, my, and the lectures I go to. That's fair. Had it up to here with Zoom. Yeah, you want to go back to the real world. I do, I do. I want to be in a fucking classroom. I want people telling me I'm bad at Japanese to my face. <laughs> That's fair. What would you pair this with, and why does it deserve to be on your list? deserves to be on the list because it's just frightening for 56 minutes. It's a great scare for an hour. And I'm sorry, it is a movie. Like, it has a beginning, middle, and an end, and it works. And the style of it, it, this is the thing we're not saying. It's all shot on Zoom. It's an incredible, like, gimmick that they're doing. And they use the pandemic to do something interesting with it. Yeah. Like, that's a very unique idea. And honestly, the fact that none of these people have ever been anything else heightens the reality of it. I wouldn't say that. I think the main lady, Haley Bishop... Oh, is she in stuff? She's in stuff. Oh, see, I don't even know her, so that helps, I guess. She was apparently an angel that's fallen. Oh, wild. And what I would pair it with is either one of two things. It's either Nori the Curse or Lake Mungo. Like, it's another great found footage movie, and you put it with another good found footage movie. You know? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think I'd have a hard time selling you on that. But what you have to do now is sell me on your number six. My number six, a great performance in the lead role. I think there's also a talk of a supporting nomination for someone else in this movie. It's about being deaf, losing your hearing. It's also about a drummer. So, you know, I got to like it. Starring Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cooke. It's the sound of metal. Oh, hey, Joe. What was that all about, Ruben? Oh, your roof? I was fixing your roof. It's like one of the eaves is trying to fix your roof. You don't need to fix anything here. Okay. I've got a little uh, assignment for you. Okay? You get up early, right? Yeah, pretty early, yeah. I'll have hot coffee waiting for you at 
That'll be enough for you? I don't know. I guess. Okay, five. And I'll uh, provide a room for you. Or four. And there's nothing that needs to be accomplished in this room. All I want you to do is just sit. All I ask is if and when you cannot just sit, you turn yourself to the pen and paper that I'm going to supply for you. And I want you to write. Doesn't matter what you write, how you write, whether it's spelled correctly, or if it's just a big mess. I don't care. No one will read it, okay? But I want you to keep writing continuously without stopping until you feel like you can sit again. Writing? Writing, yes. No drawing. Writing, yes. And if sometime in the future it feels like it's a little bit too difficult for you, you should come and find me. I'll be in my apartment doing the same thing as you, okay, Ruben? I'll be writing, too. Is Riz Ahmed the best actor we have right now? I mean, he's up there. Short list. Right? Like, he's Fucking really good. good in this. Yeah, really this good. movie's really strong. Yeah. This is another movie for a long time. It was at the top of my, like, need to watch this list. And I was... It's always a worry when a movie gets hyped up that much. That's not going to quite fulfill the lofty expectations you have but this movie i think it's 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 very good it's very very good it is give them what it's about there's band olivia cook and riz armada in a band they live out of an rv they're also dating and during a tour stop riz armad starts to hear ringing gets the tinnitus which scary thing for me because i also get tinnitus pretty badly and so i have to monitor my hearing loss and he goes in, essentially, the doctor tells him, like, you've lost, like, 70% of your hearing. and It's now preventative. That makes sure that you don't lose all of it. Uh. And he ignores that, goes and tries to play, obviously can't hear Olivia Cook, so, you know, shit sounds busted. Tells Olivia Cook, like, hey, I'm going deaf. And she's not happy. And essentially, from that point forward, it's about him learning to accept his diagnosis and the fact that he is becoming a deaf person and his struggles with that. And just, it's weird. Like, I have no problems with Olivia Cook in this movie, but the strongest section of this movie is the middle section where he's, like, he's dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And just, you, oh, he, someone actually compared it to The Wrestler. Um, recently, yeah. and I was like, yeah, that's actually really fair, because it's a movie about a man not being able to do not only what feeds him, but what he loves. I would say The Wrestler, to me anyway, was mm-hmm. a movie about 
a man turning down the love of people close to him for the love of a sport, for the love of essentially wrestling, yeah. like of an art form, essentially, and not being able to like take in the love from his daughter and his wife or his daughter and his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and I think sound of metal is kind of like that. I feel like Riz Ahmed is just ignores his body ignores essentially like, like trying to, to protect himself because he's addicted to the lifestyle that he has. Um, and he needs to, you know, play it. And so what I think this movie does so effectively is him attempting to come to grips with that and the struggles of someone who has been able to hear for his entire life, like suddenly having to adapt to a life of being a deaf. It's incredible. Um, like it's, that's the performance right there is watching him accept it. And yeah. And he's also like a former addict. And so I think that plays into it and it plays into like the people around him. And it's just a very good movie with a, just a, like an amazing central performance. You know, and I'll say this too, and we haven't, what do you call it? I'm trying to remember, who was the guy who played the farmer in Dark Water last year? Oh, good. Uh, Bill Duke? Bill Dunn? It's not Bill Duke, to be sure. Bill Camp. Bill Camp. In this year, if it were a more just year, Paul Racky would be being recognized in this movie. Mm-hmm. He gives one of the best performances I've seen. Like, And Riz Ahmed is on fire this whole movie. But there's like a moment where him and Riz Ahmed have a scene where you're just like, that might be the best scene of the year. And mm-hmm. like Riz Ahmed has a reaction to something when he asks him something where you're just like, fuck, man, I think Riz Ahmed might be like the next guy who I just like kind of want to watch in everything. This is a movie where I'm like, okay, I gotta track down every Riz Ahmed performance. I now want to watch. Was it the act? Or the night of? The night of. The night of is a fucking incredible series. Because Plus, you get to watch him actually act against John Turturro. John Turturro wakes up and like actually does a performance and isn't just <laughs> collecting a check. It's nice to see John Turturro wake up. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what eight episodes. That's not bad. Eight hours, it's, dude. You you'll fly through it. So yeah, he's got he's with this woman Olivia. Olivia Cook's really good in this movie. I will give yeah. her that. It's probably yeah. her 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 best performance. Really no, I think if I know anything else about her. Sense like, thoroughbreds is what I would say. Yeah, that's fair. She was in Ouija, bad movie. Ouija two's good. Ouija one, which is what she's in, bad movie. I really like Olivia Cook. But she's only really been in like one or two movies where you really get to see how good she is. Thoroughbreds yeah. is one. This is one. She's good in life itself, but that movie is abysmal. That might be one of the worst movies I've ever watched. What's life uh, itself? It's a Dan Fogelman joint. It's him cashing in his This Is Us chips. Oh, really? It is... That sounds terrible. A confoundingly bad movie. Ugh. No, thank you. You know what else it reminds me of? And it was something that was just looking on the inside of my list this year. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. It's just mm. this human study over like the course of a small amount of time. But man, do you feel fulfilled when you get out of it. Sadly, did not get around to watching that movie. You'd like it. You'd like it a lot. I'd probably on my list had I done that. Well, now, what is your favorite scene? 
that's tough there's a lot of good scenes in this when him and paul racy have like a real heart to heart at the towards the end of his day and uh, actually at the end of his day and it's really just so, so yeah that's sad. the scene it's a powerful scene it's a great scene it's also just very sad yeah who would have guessed that olivia cook's father was the villain from quantum of solace <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. That came out of nowhere for me. That did come out of nowhere. I, mean, I was like, like oh, oh that French- guy. Yeah. I was like, oh, nice. And what would you pair it with, and why should it be on your list? Very good question. What would I pair this with? For some reason, the only thing coming in my brain is the Lonely Heart. Or what Lonely Heart. What is Lonely Heart? Jeff Bridges movie. I don't know that one. You don't know, you don't know Lonely Hearts? Mm-mm. Heartbreakers. You mean with, no. with Jessica Love? Jessica Love. No. What's the movie that Jeff Bridges one is fucking uh Crazy Heart? Crazy Heart. That's the movie I'm thinking Why of. Why would you pair it with the, I'm not pairing it with Crazy Heart. I'm actually gonna pair it with a different movie. I'm gonna pair it with a documentary, because it's the only thing I can think of. I'm trying to break your heart. Which is a movie about people who are having struggles with addiction and being in a band and about a band making it. I don't know. Really hard for me to pair Sound of uh, Sound of Metal because I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. So I'll go with the Wilco documentary. I'm not sure if that fits. Sorry, I should have thought about this sooner. It's on my list because I think it has the best performance of 2020. And also, it's a phenomenal film. I mean, I think this has Independent Spirit Award Best Actor wrapped up. Yeah, I and I could see it with this year's slate of male actors it also getting a nomination. Oh, I hope so. I really believe this should be I believe there are three performances like in our lists that should be up for Oscars for lead actor. Like this Mary and I think Willem Dafoe. Like I really oh, yeah. do believe Willem Dafoe. Now this is not to say that the next set of movies we're going to talk about might not have some as well. But those three, in my opinion, I'm like, those are three of the best performances of the year, like in different ways, too. I hope Riz Ahmed wins some sort of award for this cause, and be, becomes more recognized and just gets more roles because he, he killed it. He killed yeah, this movie. He, he really great. did. Give that great. boy a Star Wars movie. Oh, wait. They already did. Mm, maybe not. Did they well, get a Star Wars movie? Is he a Star yeah, Wars? Yeah, he's, he's in Rogue One. <laughs> Who is he playing Rogue One? He plays like the guy they want to extract the information out of his mind at one point. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, he's great. That's how much I know about Rogue One. It's an okay movie. It's fine to bad. Yeah, it's 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 average to okay. Well, that takes us out of it, and we are 10 to 6. Why don't you read us your 10 to 6 again? My 10 to 6 are... From 10, The Olducci Tapes, number 9, Tommaso, number 8, First Count, number 7, I Was Home, but... And number six, Sound of Metal. And I, of course, had Boys State, Let Them All Talk, On the Rocks, Palm Springs, and Host. And next week, it's the Fabulous Five. It's our top five of 2020. Top five, top five, top five. It's going to be an interesting one. How are you feeling about your top five? Oh, no. What's that? (laughs) It's just I'm looking at it. There's definitely our five movies I got up there. Yep, I've got to re-watch three of them, and I need to see two for the first time. Speaking of which, your number five is coming out almost perfectly to this. Nice. Yeah, so it won't be one where it's like, I didn't see it. Nice. Um, I definitely get you a, a link somehow. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'd figure it out. 
But you guys can follow us, of course, to see what we what we had on our top five this week at TWGTF pod. You can follow me at ET critic for the empty theater critic. And Tyler, is there anyone that can follow you? You can follow me on listmaker.com, the only place where you can make lists. Yes, lists. There's, no other, there's no other place online. No other places where you can make lists. It's got the market cornered on lists. My name is listmaker696969699. Follow me there. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I've been the first cow. And remember, guys, if you are coming into our video store and you're looking for the uh, 10 to 6 section, well, it's it's over there. It's not as well kept up as the 5 to 1, but, you know, it's, it's there. Horrible. Awful. Just two white guys talking film.